You are welcome to ATC 102 tonight. Tonight we'll be re-examining the issue of the new birth. The new birth. Amen. Basically what we'll be looking at today is what does it mean to be born again? Now that you are born again, now that you are saved, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? What brought about your salvation? Amen. We started last week looking at the first class in the series and we re-examined God's original plan and intention for man. And we were able to see that God created man to give him pleasure. We were able to see last week that God made man to be the crown of his creation. We were able to see last week that God made man to be just a little bit lower than himself. We were able to see that God gave man dominion over the earth. God made man to be in charge of his creation. And we were able to see that we were made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. We were able to establish to us last week that we are essentially a spirit being. We live in a physical body and we have a soul. Amen. And we're able to show us that it's our spirit being that looks like God. We're able to see that it is our physical body that gives us the legal authority to operate on earth. Amen. As long as our spirit man remains in the physical body, then we can operate on earth. But once our spirit man leaves our physical body, then we have no authority to operate on earth again. And we're able to see last week that man failed God in that man committed a sin against God and man was separated from God. Amen. And we're able to see that God had to send, send the Lord Jesus Christ to come and deliver man from hell. And Jesus came and he suffered on the cross of Calvary and because of his death, burial and resurrection. Therefore, anybody that believes on the name of Jesus will be saved. Amen. And we're able to see that for you to be able to enjoy the salvation package that Jesus has made available, you have to start, start by repenting. We're able to see that repentance is a change of mind, it's a change of the way you think, it's a change of your thought pattern, it's a change of everything about you. Amen. And tonight, we are continuing by re-examining, now that you are saved, what does it mean to be saved? And in the first place, how did you get saved? Amen. Before we are done tonight, we have six objectives that must be accomplished. One, you should be able to appreciate what the new birth means and the agents of the new birth. You should be able to appreciate some realities of our new creation. And three, you should be able to appreciate the symbols and the assurance of our salvation and the new birth experience. Four, you should be able to appreciate the significance of water baptism. And five, you should be able to understand the meaning and significance of Holy Communion. Also, lastly, you should be able to appreciate the importance of being covenant-minded or covenant-hearted. Amen. So what does it mean to be saved? What is the new birth? If we say there is a new birth, that means there was an old birth. Sometimes we hear some people refer to you're being born again as uh, the second birth. If it's a second birth, it means there was a first birth. 
Amen. You see, the new birth experience, you need to understand, is a supernatural act of God. It is only God that can bring about the new birth experience. It's only God that can get a man to be born again. A preacher cannot save you. God will use the message of a preacher to save you. No man can save you. God will use a man to speak into your life, to speak the word of God into your life, but it takes God himself to save you. Does that make sense to you? So it's a supernatural act of God that is a follow-up to your repenting and confession of your sins. Amen. You cannot be born again until first of all you have come to a, a point of repentance and after you, you repented, you confessed your sin and you received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9, let's read it. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us, that with the heart you believe unto salvation, but with the mouth you make confession to your salvation. With the mouth or with the heart you believe unto salvation, but with the confession of your mouth you are saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And verse 10 now explains how. He says, For with the earth one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. What does that mean? The moment you believe that you are a sinner and that you cannot help yourself, and that God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, and you receive that, you believe that in your heart, you have salvation. I mean, you have what we call righteousness, but you are not yet saved. Because there are so many people today who believe that Jesus is the solution to their sins. Is that okay? But they have not taken the second step. It's not good enough for you to just believe. You must also accomplish the second part. It says that with the heart you believe unto righteousness, but with your mouth you make confession to salvation. It is your confessing what you believe in your heart that brings about your new birth, that brings about your being born again. Like we used to say, it must be a heart and a mouth connection. There are some people, they confess the Lord Jesus Christ, but not in their heart, so they are not saved. And there are some people, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart, but they don't confess it with their mouth, so they are not saved. Amen. So for you to be saved, for your salvation to be created, you have to first of all believe in your heart, then you confess through your mouth. Do you know why? Because we saw last week that God created the whole earth in six days. All right? And the Bible says that on the seventh day, he rested from his works. So the question is this. What work was God doing for six days? He was creating things. How was he creating them? By speaking. 
He spoke them into existence. He says, F be, this be, and it was. Is that okay? And we were created in the image of God. So that means you have to create your salvation by confession. Does that make sense to you? So if God rested from his work, so I should tell you that speaking is work. Speaking is work. Have you noticed sometimes when you are involved in an, in an argument with somebody for about an hour or two, maybe you are enjoying the argument, but after you left that place of argument, you feel tired because speaking is work. Does that make sense to you? So with the heart, you believed, but with your mouth, when you confess, then your salvation was created. So it must be a heart and a mouth connection. Is that okay? If you don't believe in your heart, if you just say it in your mouth, it's nothing. Is that okay? And if you believe in your heart and you don't say it out of your mouth, it's still nothing. Is that okay? So you must believe in your heart, then speak it out with your mouth. Then you are born again. Now, what does it mean? It means that the spirit of man that died when Adam and Eve committed a sin against God in the Garden of Eden was brought back to life. That means our spirit man that died when Adam and Eve sinned was brought back to life. What does it mean? Now, let me explain. We're going to talk more about death in one of the classes in about six or seven weeks to come. But let me just give you a gist. Spirits, I, uh, I told us last week that we are essentially spirits. Is that okay? And that is our spirit that looks like God. Spirits do not die. Spirits don't die. Spirits are created by God to live forever. So what does it mean? God told Adam and Eve, he said, Adam rather, he said, if you eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you are going to die. He said, in that day you eat it, you will die. Now, what was God talking about? God was not talking about physical death. God was talking about spiritual death. Now, what do we mean by spiritual death? If we say that spirits cannot die, it means separation. Let me help you understand it. You remember when God was creating, wanted to create trees, what did he do? He spoke to the earth. He said, earth, bring forth trees. Is that okay? And the earth brought forth trees, brought forth all crops. When God wanted to create fishes, what did he do? He spoke to water. He said, water, bring forth fishes. And what happened? Fishes come out of water. Now, it is a divine principle that whatever produces something, that something must depend on what produces it to exist. Must remain in contact. Let me help you understand it. When God wanted to create trees or plants, what did he do? He spoke to the earth, bring forth trees. So by divine principle, because the trees and the plants came out of the earth, it must remain connected to the earth for it to stay alive. When God wanted to create fishes, what did he do? He spoke to water and water brought out fishes. 
Is that okay? So for fishes to remain alive, it must remain connected to what produced it for it to remain alive. Does that make sense to you? So that means the day you uproot a plant from the earth, what happens to it? It dies. The day you bring forth a fish out of water, what happens to it? It dies. Now, let's look at man. When God wanted to create man, what did he do? He spoke to himself. Say, come, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And what happened? Man came out of God. So just like fish must remain in contact with water for it to remain alive, and just like plants must remain connected to the earth to remain alive, because man came out of God, man must remain connected to God for him to remain alive. Is that okay? So when we talk about spiritual death, it does not mean that it went out of existence. It just means that it was separated from its source. Does that make sense to you? So when we say that when you were, your spirit man was born again, that your spirit that died in Eden was made back alive. It's just like when you don't pay your BPU bill. BPU cuts your light, electric current. Is that okay? And when you make payment, what do they do? They connect you back again. So what happened when you gave your life to Jesus was that your spirit man that was separated from God was reconnected back to God. So that's the reason why it is only God that can brought about your salvation. God can use a man, but a man cannot save you. A man cannot reconnect you directly to God. God himself must connect you back to himself, though he will use the message of a man. Does that make sense to you? Amen. So being born again means that our spirit man that was dead in Eden was quickened, was made alive again, was reconnected back to God. And the life of God began to flow in us. Amen. It means that man was spiritually restored back to the glory that, God, that man had with God in the beginning. Remember last week I spoke about the glory that God, that man, God gave man. The Bible says that God made man to be a little bit lower than himself. Amen. But when we committed the sin in Adam, we fell short of that glory. But now that you are born again, you have been, you have been restored back to glory. Amen. Another thing you need to know about being born again is that being born again means the supernatural ability that God has given a sinner to become a saint. The supernatural ability that God has given a sinner to become a saint. What does that mean? It means that if somebody was a prostitute and a murderer about five minutes ago, a sinner, and somebody preached the gospel to him or her, and that person gave his life or her life to Jesus now, between five minutes ago and now, that person has been transformed from being a sinner to becoming a saint. That is a miracle. <laughs> being born again is a miracle. Amen. Because God begins to look at you the day you gave your life to Jesus as if you have never committed a sin. No matter the sin you've had in your past. And that is a miracle. Hallelujah. And then when you were born again, we call it, 
we also call it the new creation. Come with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I read verse 17. It says that if anyone, it said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation, all things are passed away, and all things are become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. That means when you gave your life to Jesus, you were reconnected back to Jesus. Jesus gave you a new life. You became, another translation says that if anyone be in Christ... It becomes a new species of being that never existed previously. As far as heaven is concerned, you started living the day you gave your life to Jesus. As far as God is concerned, God did not reckon with your life before you came to Jesus. As far as God is concerned, it was the day you made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ that you started living really. Amen. So you become a new creation. Now let's talk briefly about what brought about your new creation. There are two agents that God used to bring you to himself. The first agent is called the word of God. And the second agent is the Holy Spirit. It takes a combination of the word of God and the Holy Spirit to bring you back to God. Amen. Let us see how did the word of God give birth to you. Come with me to the book of James chapter 1 verse 18. The book of James chapter 1 verse 18. James 1 18 says, Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creation. Of his own will. That means willingly God decided to give birth to us by his word so that we can become a sort of first fruit of his creation. So that we can become a crown of his creation. Amen. Come with me again to the book of Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 23. 2 Peter 1, 23 says, Sorry, 1 Peter 1, 23. Says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. He says, we have been born again by the incorruptible seed. And the incorruptible seed is the word of God which lives and abides forever. Now, it means that one of the raw materials that God used to make us or to create us is the word of God. Do you agree with me from that scripture? Amen. You know what we mean by raw materials? Raw materials are the materials that are brought together to produce something like this microphone 
Part of the raw material include plastics, include some electrical circuits, include some metals. Everything brought together, processed, then it brought forth this product called microphone. Is that okay? So what brought forth your salvation? There were some raw materials that God used to bring forth your salvation. And he used two raw materials. One of them is his word, and the other one is his spirit. Now, I put this to you, and I believe you will agree with me, that the lifespan of a, of a particular object is directly dependent on the, life, of, on the lifespan of the material used in making it. You understand what I mean by lifespan? That means how durable. How durable a material is is dependent on the things or the raw materials used in making it. So the question is this. How durable is your life when you gave your life to Jesus? The durability of your life is dependent on the durability of the word of God. And the Bible tells us that the word of God abides and lives forever. That means that your spirit man that was recreated in Christ Jesus will live forever. Even when you have died on this earth, even when you have shared this your physical body, your spirit man will live forever in the presence of God. Amen. That is the first agent of our new birth, the one. The second agent of our new birth is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was used by God to give birth to us. Now come with me to the book of John chapter 3. This is a very popular verse of scripture. We read verse 3 and 8. And 5 then to 8. This was a popular story of Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, had come to Jesus and by night and he asked, Master, we believe that you are sent from God. Then he said, what shall a man do? And Jesus said in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then that guy was confused. He said, Master, Lord, what, what do you mean? Does it mean that as I am right now, I need to go back into my mother's womb and be born again for me to see the kingdom of God? Then Jesus explained again in verse 5. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Most assuredly, Unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the question is this. Look closely at those two verses of scripture, verse 3 and verse 5. And I want your feedback. What is the difference between verse 3 and verse 5? In verse 3, he says that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, he said, except a man be born again by water and by spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Talk to me. What's the difference between verse 3 and verse 5? Amen. That's good. Any other ideas? 
That's brilliant. But let me take it further. Look at verse 3. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see. Take note of the word see. Then in verse 5, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Take note of the word enter. There is a difference between seeing and entering. Because you see does not mean you will enter. After you see, then you start the journey of entering. It's that you need to be born again for you to see that there is a kingdom. You know, there are people in the world today, they don't believe there is heaven, they don't believe there is hell. So they don't see. They are blind spiritually. Is that okay? But there are some people, they see, they know there is heaven, there is hell. But they cannot enter it. Except they are born by water and by the spirit. So the next question is this. How do you become born by water and of the spirit? What does it mean to be born of water and of the spirit? Water baptism? Any other ideas? What does it mean to be born of water and of the spirit? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, you are right on the second part, the Holy Spirit. But the other part that says you must be born of water, many people don't understand. They think it's water baptism. It's not water baptism. Okay, that's talking about baptism. But in this place, Jesus wasn't talking about water baptism. He said you must be born of water. But it does not mean water baptism. I will explain to you what it means. Amen. Now, for you to understand what Jesus is saying there, Jesus was using what we call figure of speech. Do you know what we mean by figure of speech? When you say something, but you actually mean something else. For instance, in, in my country, if you want to announce, because somebody dying in our culture is very sacred. Is that okay? And you don't announce it lightly. <laughs> so somebody can come into the room and say, Mr. So so and so has just kicked the bucket. <laughs> now the elders, the older people in the room understand that that means that person has died. But the children will be asking, did he get his feet hot? Because they said he kicked the bucket. That's a figure of speech. Amen. So you say something, but it has a different meaning from what you say. And it's only people who understand that can interpret what you're saying. So when Jesus said you must be born of water and of the spirit, the water is talking about the word of God. The water... He's talking about, it's not water baptism. He's talking about the water of God. About the word of God. And I will show you. Come with me to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read verse 25 and 26 to 27 so that it can, it can make sense to you. This is Paul talking to the Christians in Ephesus. 
It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen to close to verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Take note of that sentence. That he might cleanse and sanctify her by the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present unto himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. blemish. Amen. Why did Jesus use the word water to represent the word of God? The reason is because the word of God is a cleansing agent. The word of God is a cleansing agent. Until, even if you are born again, if you, are, if you give your life to Jesus right now, and you die right now, you are going to heaven. No problem. But if you give your life to Christ now, and you are still going to live some few days, some years, then you need the operation of the word of God to be cleansing you, to be to be cleaning your life continually until you see Jesus. Or else, your life may get dirty and when Jesus comes, you can still enter the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said, not all the people that call me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because though they gave their life to Jesus at the beginning, but they did not, like he said, the process of Keeping of, of, of keeping your salvation. Let me tell you, those people that are teaching the doctrine that once saved is always saved, it's a doctrine from the pit of hell. It's a doctrine by the devil, and it is meant to lead you to hell. And that doctrine is, once you are saved, you can never lose your salvation. So that you are saved today, and you, are, you can keep living like a devil, and you will still get to heaven. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It will never happen. Amen. Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom. To distinguish between heaven and hell. Right? But you must be born of water and of the spirit to be able to enter. There's a difference between seeing and entering. There are so many people who are passing through parallel parkway. And they see the signpost Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship. They see the building Praise Chapel Church, but they did not enter. But you did not only see, you drove into the parking lot, you parked your car, you got out of your car, and you came into the auditorium. So you entered. So that is the same way. Many people are passing by the highway and they are not turning into the highway that will lead them to heaven. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. But straight and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Amen. As you can see, the road that leads to our church parking lot is not as wide as the main road. <laughs> Amen. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus said, you must be born of water, meaning the word of God must cleanse you. Let me explain to you again. Now, assuming you gave your life to Jesus... And before you gave your life to Jesus, you were an ham robber. You steal. You rob houses. 
Is that okay? And after you gave your life to Jesus, you still didn't know that it's not good to steal, and you are still stealing. Though you are saved, though you are born again, though you can see the kingdom of God, but you are still stealing. Why? Because you didn't know that it's wrong. Then maybe one day, you came to church, and the pastor began to preach that the Bible says that thou shalt not steal. That the Bible says that those who steal, they have their part in the lake of fire. And that message convicted you. And you said, wow, I never knew that stealing is wrong. You said, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. And you said, from today, I won't steal again. What has happened to you? The word of God that was preached has just washed that area of your life clean. So that area of your life has been cleansed. Is that okay? But maybe you are still fornicating. Maybe you are still living with a woman who is not your wife. Or living with a man who is not your husband. And you never knew it's wrong. It's wrong. It's called fornication. When you are not married and you're living with somebody who is the opposite side, it's called fornication. When you are married and you sleep with somebody of the opposite side, it's called adultery. And you never knew, but you are born again. Is that okay? And you came to church one day and the pastor was preaching and he said, thou shalt not fornicate, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he said, wow, I never knew. From today, we stop living together until we get married. Is that okay? That means that the word of God that was preached has washed that part of your life clean. Does that make sense to you? So if you keep coming to church every day, and the more the word of God you hear, and the more the word of God you allow to change you, your life is being cleaned, is being cleansed bit by bit until the day that Jesus will either take you home or Jesus will come in the rapture then you'll be ready to meet with him. Does that make sense to you? So the word of God is a cleansing agent. And Jesus said you must be born of water and of a spirit for you to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that is the word of God. What about the Holy Spirit? He said you must be born of the spirit also to be able to enter the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit, we're going to speak about him next week. We're going to speak about the Holy Spirit next week. But the Holy Spirit, let me just summarize to you that the Holy Spirit is the executive power of God. The Holy Spirit is the power of God that creates things. What is the connection between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? The way I can explain it better to you is this. How many people believe that before a house is built physically, the house was already completed on paper. Is that okay? An architect already built a house on paper. Then the builder comes and takes the paper and builds according to the design that the architect has drawn. Do you understand that? Now, I can say to you that the word of God is like an architectural plan. It tells you the plan, how it should look like. But the Holy Spirit is like the builder. The Holy Spirit can only build when there is a plan. Does that make sense to you? But there must be a plan for the builder to build. 
Or else the builder will just build anything. Amen. Remember in the book of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering, brooding over the surface of the earth. Though it is the ability, it is the power of God, but he didn't do anything about it. There was darkness, there was chaos on earth, but he didn't do anything about it. Until God spoke. Until the word was released out of the mouth of God. When God says, let there be light, that is the architectural plan. That is the plan. That is what God wants to happen. Then the Holy Ghost took that word and created the word. Then light was created. Does that make sense to you? So it takes a come as a Christian, you must be like God. You must speak. When you speak, the Holy Spirit ensures that what you speak comes to pass. If you've been in church in the last couple of weeks, the pastor has been preaching about faith, changing your confession. Changing your confession. Maybe you begin to run a little fever. And you say to yourself, wow, it seems as if I'm going to get the flu. Before you said, it seems as if I'm going to get the flu, you never had the flu, you only had a symptom. But once you said, it seems as if I'm going to get the flu, you have just given permission for flu to come on you. Does that make sense to you? So you are going to get what you say. Just say it long enough, whether positive or negative. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. And God created things by speaking. I told you earlier that God works for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from his works. And I asked you, what work was he doing for six days? He was busy speaking. Does that make sense to you? So you're going to create your world by speaking. The Bible says that angels are to the voice of God's word. When you begin to speak the word of God into your life, the angels of God will ensure that you have what you say. Amen. So we, are, we can see here that it takes the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to create our salvation. So what happened was this. It was the word of God that you believe in your heart. That you spoke through your mouth. When you spoke that word out through your mouth, then the Holy Spirit took the word you spoke and created your salvation. And it took you and reconnected back your spirit man that was dead back to God. And it gave you a new life. Does that make sense to you? So it is a combination of the word of God and the spirit of God that brought about our salvation. Amen. Does that, is that very clear to us? That means in the whole of your Christian walk, just like you got your salvation by confession of your faith, Whatever you want from God must be by confession of your faith. If you want healing, prosperity, health, it must be by the word of God that you speak. Does that make sense to you? You must speak it out. If you don't speak it out, that's why we pray. What do you do in prayer? You speak the word of God in prayer. And the Holy Spirit ensures that whatsoever you speak will be created. Amen. Now, let's take this further. You are born again. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
all things are passed away and all things are become new. What does that mean? All things are passed away and all things are become new. It means you are a new creation. You are a new species of being that never existed before. Now, let me tell you a story to help your understanding of this verse of scripture. Right? What's your name? Michael. What's your last name? Huh? Menis. Okay. This is Michael Menis. He was born by Mr. and Mrs. Menis, I believe. Right? Some years ago. Let me tell you a story, an hypothetical story. How many people know Mr. George Bush? Who is he? The President of the United States of America. Now, the story goes thus. Mr. George Bush is coming to town, to Kansas City. And he's going to pass from the airport through 635 and it will pass through parallel parkway and it's going to the race tracks to attend a racing competition assuming how many people know that and he's going to ride in a car in the presidential motorcade how many people will want to stay outside to see Mr. President drive by almost everybody will line the streets to see him drive by, right? Now, let's assume that as Mr. President was driving, when he turned off the highway from 635 and he got onto Parallel Parkway, the, motor, the, the car he was driving in has an open head and he was standing in the car and he was waving to the crowd, right? Now, Michael was standing by Prince Chapel entrance to see Mr. President pass by. Flowing with me? Now, as Mr. President's car was coming, it was going at about 15 miles an hour so that I can acknowledge everybody. When it got to where Michael was standing, he looked at Michael and as his car was coming towards Michael, he was looking at Michael, and as the car was going past Michael, he was looking at Michael, then he told the driver to stop. I'm sure Michael will be puzzled. Then he looked at Michael for about two or three, for about 20 seconds, and he beckoned to him. I'm sure Michael will look back to ask, are you talking about me? Say yes, come. Let's assume Michael now goes to Mr. President. And Mr. President looked at Michael. He said, How? Oh, you're a handsome young man. And he said to Michael, Would you like to be my son? I would like to adopt you. I'm sure Michael cannot believe his ears that the President of the United States is offering him adoption. Say, can I adopt you? 
And Mr. President could see that Michael was puzzled. And he just brought out his business card. He said, this business card is my mobile phone number. If you call this number, I will be the one to pick the phone, not my secretary. Say, think about it. If you make up your mind to become my son, give me a call and we'll get the paperwork done. That night, I'm sure Michael will not be able to sleep. <laughs> he will be pondering over in his mind, one, why me? Maybe there are over hundreds of people on that street, lining the street. Why did he pick on me? What did he see about me? And maybe he wasn't really well-dressed. So it wasn't because he was well-dressed. So what exactly did they see about me that he wanted to adopt me as a son? Are you familiar with my story? Now let's assume that Michael thought about the advantages and disadvantages of turning down the offer. <laughs> and decided that it is more advantageous <laughs> to be adopted by Mr. George Bush. And he decided, okay, I will go with this. And he picked up the phone and he called Mr. George Bush about three days later. And Mr. George Bush was at the White House. Say, hello, who is this? Say, this is Michael, sir, of Kansas City. Oh, Michael, how are you? Do you have good news for me? Say, yes, Mr. President. Okay, tell me the good news. I would like to be your son. Wow! Oh, Mr. President was shouting at the other hand. And he was calling all his staff members. Wow, I got a son, I got a son. You know, he has just two daughters. I got a son, I got a son. And he was telling everybody, I got a son. He was, he was just shouting at the other end of the line. And he said, Michael, you know what? I'm going to make arrangements immediately. The paperwork will be done within two, three hours. And you'll be on your way to the White House in the next four hours. Now, let's assume that was 9 a.m. And by 1 p.m., Michael was on Air Force One from Kansas City to Washington, D.C. Now, Michael was taken to the White House and officially became Michael Bush. Now, let me put it to you. If this story were true, how many people believe that everything about Michael would change? The first thing to change was his name. It's now Michael Bush. His culture will change. He's a Kansas City boy. Now he's going to become a White House boy. His language will come. Maybe he does a little cursing. <laughs> he curses people a little bit. It's not permitted in the White House. Now, his, change, his dressing is going to change because he can't dress like this in the White House. Everything about him will change. His economic status will change. Amen. Even the restaurant where he eats will change. The group of people that he moves with, his friends, will change. Everything about him will be radically changed. 
What of if after some few days, Michael forgot that is now George, uh, Michael Bush. And now, he went to the ghetto part of Washington and he began to make, make friends with the ghetto guys. What does that mean? It means he has forgotten who he is. He has forgotten that he has a new identity. Look at yourself. The creator of the universe, his name is Jesus, was passing by, passing by your house, passing by you. And one day, through a preacher, he said to you, say, son, I love you so much. Will you be my son? Will you be my daughter? You flame with me. And after many preaching, you finally decided to accept him as your father. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new species of being that never existed before. Your identity changed. Your culture should change. Your dressing should change. Your speaking should change. Your status in life should change. Why? Because you are now the son or the daughter of the greatest king of the universe. His name is Jehovah. Does that make sense to you? So when we talk about the new creation realities, is that if you don't come to terms with your new identity, you will live below your privileges. How many people believe that the son or the daughter of the president are, has privileges? The children of the president does not travel in American Airlines. They go by Air Force One. They don't take airport taxes. They go by presidential limousines. Does that make sense to you? Those are privileges because they are children of the president. But what if they forgot that they are children of the president and they are flagging down a taxi? They are living below their privileges. So many Christians today are living below their privileges. Why? Because they do not realize that they are new creation in Christ. So the main trust and the main purpose of this class tonight is to bring you to the consciousness of the reality of your new creation. Let's look at some of the realities of your new creation. The first thing that you must come to terms with is that you have no past. You only have a new beginning in Christ. I don't care what you have done with your life in time past. I don't care whether you have wasted 50 or 60 years of your life previously doing some things that you are not supposed to do. God does not count all those against you. You are a new species of being that never existed before. You have no past. You only have a future. You fling with me. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. That's the first thing that must first of all eat your heart. Paul was speaking to the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Yet I live. 
He said, but the life I live right now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died for me and also rose again for my, for my justification. You've learned with me tonight. So the life you now live in Christ Jesus is not yours. It's a new life given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this making any sense to you? That's the first thing that you must first of all come to terms with. You are a new creation in Christ. You have no past. God is not holding your past against you. So why should you hold your own past against yourself? Some people will say, okay, I have no problem forgiving other people, but I won't forgive myself. You will still go to hell because it's still a sin of unforgiveness, whether against other people or against yourself. So why are you holding yourself to your sins when God has released you from the consequences of your sins? Does that make sense to you? Have you heard that before? Have you said that to yourself before? Wow, I shouldn't have done that. I will never forgive myself. If you die not forgiving yourself, you still go to hell. Because this is still a sin of unforgiveness. So why send yourself to hell when he has already paid the price for you to go to heaven? Does that make sense to you? Another great reality of your new creation should be that you must, first, you must know that you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. Before you see yourself as an American citizen, you must first of all see yourself as a citizen of heaven. And because of this, your first allegiance must be to the kingdom of God before you are committed to the country of America. Is this making sense to you? Before, that is the reason why when the loss of a land contravenes the word of God, you go by the word of God. And you don't care the consequences of the law. If the law goes against the word of God, you stand by the word of God because you are first of all a citizen of heaven before you are an American citizen. Does that make sense to you? Now am I saying break the law? I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in your consciousness, you must be committed more to the kingdom than to any nation on earth because you are a citizen of heaven by the virtue of the fact that you are now a, a Christian. Jesus said, if anyone is born again, then he can see the kingdom of God and he can enter the kingdom of God. Amen. The Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven. Another thing that must dawn on you is that you are now an ambassador of Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, now are we Christ ambassadors. Michael, you are an ambassador of Christ. Now, maybe many of you don't know what it really means to be an ambassador. Who is an ambassador? An ambassador is a person in a nation chosen by the president of that nation and sent to other lands to represent his nation or his president. And he is answerable to directly to his president. Does that make sense to you? Who's an ambassador? An ambassador is an... Um, for instance, I come from the country Nigeria. In my country Nigeria, we have the American ambassador to Nigeria. 
Who is he? He is an American citizen that was unpaid by the President of the United States and sent on a mission to Nigeria to represent him. He represents President Bush and their nation of America. Does that make sense to you? And the way they will treat President Bush more or less is the way that we treat his ambassador. Does that make sense to you? Um, another powerful thing you need to know as a, about an ambassador is this. The American ambassador to Nigeria, though is living on Nigerian soil, and the Nigerian soil belongs to the Nigerian government and the Nigerian people, he is not subject to Nigerian laws. Does that make sense to you? The American ambassador to Nigeria is not subject to Nigerian laws. The American ambassador to Nigeria operates American law on Nigerian soil. The American ambassador to Nigeria can never be arrested, even if he commits a crime in Nigeria. He has what they call diplomatic immunity. You can't arrest him. If he parks his car in a place he's not supposed to park, you, the police cannot give him a ticket. He is immune from receiving that. The same thing, the Nigerian ambassador to the United States of America is a Nigerian citizen and picked by the president of Nigeria to represent him in America. And the Nigerian ambassador to America is never subject to American law. The American police or the FBI cannot arrest him, even if he commits a crime against the American government on American soil. Why? Because he has diplomatic immunity. Does that make sense to you? That's the reason why you must first of all realize that you are a citizen of heaven before you are an American citizen. You are an ambassador of Christ from heaven to earth. Jesus expects you to represent him well on earth. That when people see your life, they will see Jesus. Does that make sense to you? You are an ambassador of Christ. When people see the Nigerian ambassador to America, it talks like the president of Nigeria. Because he represents him. So you represent Christ. Your life must portray Christ. But if you don't know, you will live below your privileges. You are on this earth, but you should not be subject to the laws of the earth. What do I mean by that? The law of sickness and disease. You should not be subject to it. The law of poverty, lack. You should not be subject to it because you are an ambassador. Now, let me tell you, an ambassador, everything is paid for by his government. His house, his car, his gas, his bills, is paid for by his government. Everything, 100%. You know, if you work for the federal government of America, in America, you will still pay your house rent or mortgage. You still pay your car payments. 
by yourself and you're still receiving salary, but the ambassador does not pick up any of his bills. The government takes care of everything. Even his clothes, he has clothing allowance because he is not expected to use his own money to buy clothes for himself because he must be well-dressed. Because when people see him, he represents America and the image of America. So the government of America wants to be sure that he has a very good image of them abroad. So they take care of the bills. So that means God should be taking care of your bills because you are his ambassador on earth. But if you don't realize that, you will live below your privileges as a Christian. Can you see how far you are <laughs> from living like an ambassador on earth? Because you still struggle with your bills. We still struggle with our bills. But if you know who you are in Christ, can you imagine when Jesus was walking on the surface of this earth? Jesus never lacked anything. He was so rich that a thief was his treasurer by the name Judas. <laughs> because the Bible says that he helps himself from the force. But the ministry of Jesus never went broke. Because he's an ambassador. So the kingdom of heaven always supplies. Even when they were in a desert place and people were hungry and there was no food, he just said the prayer and food appeared. We are supposed to live like Christ. Amen. Another thing that must strike you as a new creation in Christ is that you have a new culture. You have a new language. And you must have a new vocabulary. You have a new culture. Don't. <laughs> I know that Americans are very proud of their culture and of their country, which is good. But wherever your culture contravenes the word of God, you must uphold the word of God against your culture. Is that okay? Keep the good ones as long as it's not against the word of God. But if it's against the word of God, uphold the, the culture of the kingdom of God. Amen. Uphold the kingdom of God in your heart, in your life, in your conduct, in your speech, in the way you behave, in your behaviors, in your habits. Uphold the kingdom of God. Uphold the culture of the kingdom. Because you are first of all a citizen of heaven before you are an American citizen. Do you know why the Christians were so persecuted in the Roman Empire? Because Rome was a very great country, very great empire. And they discovered that there are a certain class of people, though they live in Rome, but they don't behave like Romans. <laughs> and the, empire, the emperor was threatened. Because he could see that these people represent another government. And the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers were going all over the world to conquer every nation. And they see a group of people that they are a nation different from other nations, but they don't have a geographic territory. Does that make sense to you? Listen, I don't need a visa to go to Canada to do spiritual activity. 
for me to travel physically to Canada, I need a visa. Is that okay? But in the realm of the spirit, to operate the kingdom in Canada from here, I don't need a visa. If I want to pray for somebody in Canada, I don't need a visa. I just pray. And the kingdom of God is everywhere. It just it, it, it goes across geographic boundaries. Does that make sense to you? So you have a new culture, you have a new language, your, your tongue must change. The way you speak must change. If you have been talking failure, defeat, depression to yourself, you need to begin to speak faith, life, health, prosperity to yourself. Oh, poor me. No, the Bible says you are rich. So let the weak say, I'm strong. And let the poor say, I'm rich. Amen. Your tongue must change. Another thing that must eat you as a Christian, one of the realities of your new creation is this. Though your spirit man is born again, remember last week we spoke about you are essentially a spirit being. You live in a physical body and you have a soul. Your spirit man is born again. How many people grew taller the day they gave their life to Jesus? Physically speaking, maybe you are five feet then. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became six feet. Or you were five feet before you gave your life to Jesus. Then after giving your life to Jesus, you became four feet tall. Is anybody here? Or you became thinner or fatter after I gave your life to Jesus? No. Nothing changed to you physically when you gave your life to Jesus. But something changed inside of you spiritually. When you gave your life to Jesus, it was only your spirit man that was born again. Now, it is your responsibility to renew your mind and to keep your body holy. Some people will say, well, if God wants me to be holy, we, we make me be holy. No. He has given you what it takes for you to renew your mind and for you to keep your body holy. Come with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. The scripture says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Then verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Though your spirit man is born again, you can't do anything about that. It has to take God to do that. But now you have a part in your salvation. You must present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable. And you must be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does that mean? That means that maybe before you became a Christian as a lady, maybe the way you dress, maybe you dress to attract attention of men to yourself. 
maybe your your skirts are normally at this level and your blouse are normally at this level <laughs> assuming now that you are born again your body must be presented to God as holy does that make sense to you so you must present your body as something that is holy unto God right keep your body from fornication keep your body from adultery keep your body from gluttony gluttony is sin keep your body from all those things that are not right and the reason why the Bible call it a sacrifice is because it's a sacrifice to see food and not eat excessively that's it's a sacrifice to see chocolate and not take it because of the calories ice cream and not take it it's a sacrifice that's why I call it a sacrifice a living sacrifice not a dead sacrifice a living sacrifice that you are sacrificing your body to God but you are still living does that make sense to you then verse 2 says that do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to, trans to be transformed or conformed? Conformed is this. Have you noticed that when you come to church and you hear the word of God being preached, when you go back to your workplace or your school, have you noticed that everything happening around you most of the time is completely opposite to what is being said in church? Have you noticed and if care is not taken by you, there's a tendency for you, instead of living out the word of God as you are hearing in church, for you to conform to what they are doing in your office or in your school. Say, so do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. It will take a transformation for everybody in your workplace or in your office to be doing something and for you to do contrary wise because you know it's against the word of God. And the Bible says that it is only then that you will be able to discern what is the perfect, acceptable, and the good will of God for your life. Many people want to know the will of God for their lives, but they won't present their body as a living sacrifice, and they won't renew their mind. How do you renew your mind? Maybe all your life you've been a sick person right? And you have come to believe that you are a sickler. You must always be sick. Let me use a better example. Maybe all your life you've lived in poverty and you have come to... Let me, let me use a better example. Maybe all your life <laughs> you have been a failure. Everything you do you fail. Your marriage, your job, you can't hold a job down. And you have come to agree with people because people have told you you are a failure. And you have come to agree with them that you are a failure. Now that you are a believer in Christ Jesus, God does not sponsor a failure. Everybody is a success. He has given you what it takes to be a successful person. Alright? Now, you have to renew your mind or else you will stay in the state of failure though you are a Christian. You have to renew your mind. Let me give you a very good example. This was an 
experiment that was done by some scientists, by some psychologists. What did they do? They got an aquarium and they put a fish in that aquarium. And they trained the fish. Anytime they want to feed the fish, they will bring the food to one part of the aquarium and they will drop it in the water. Now the fish, though it's at the other end of the aquarium, it will smell the, fi- the, the food in the water and it will swim from one end of the aquarium to grab the food. So they train the fish many days by what we call learned response. So the, the, the fish knows anytime they put the, the food there, it will swim across to get its food. So after some few days that they are sure that the fish have learned when to come to his, for his food, they now put a glass, a transparent glass, at the middle of the aquarium. So they now put the food in the same place. It smells the food, and the fish was swimming. Because the glass was transparent, he didn't see the glass. He hit his head against the glass. So the fish turns back, but he's still hungry. So he goes again. When he goes to the middle of the aquarium, he hit his head against the glass, and he turns back again. And he kept doing that on and on. Then after a while, they removed the glass. And they put the food again. Then he smells the food again and he's coming. Just before he goes to where the glass used to be, he turned back. Though the glass had been removed, but because in his mind... He already learned, he already programmed that every time I get to this point, there is a boundary, there is a wall. It turns back. And do you know what happened? That fish died in the aquarium, though its food is there. Because in his mind, the barrier is still there. But physically speaking, the barrier has been removed. That is how many people behave. All your life, failure, poverty, sickness have been a barrier from you moving forward. So even when you came to Christ and that barrier has been removed because the Bible says, let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. I am rich rather. That barrier has been removed physically by the work of Calvary. By the works of Calvary. But in your mind, it is still there. So many people still die in poverty though they are rich. Many people still die in sickness, though they have been healed. Why? Because in their mind, they are still a failure. One of the greatest bondages in life is the bondage of the mind. So that's the reason why the Bible says you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Many times I had to preach to myself. Maybe I have a physical situation that shows that I'm a failure. Maybe people told me I'm a failure. The situation, the fact on ground shows me I'm a failure. But I go to the word of God and the word of God tells me I am not a failure. Do you know what I do? I preach to myself. And I make sure when I'm preaching to myself, I do it where there's nobody. So that they won't think I'm going nuts. And I say, Emmanuel, listen. Let us agree with the fact. This is a fact on ground. The fact shows 
that you have failed. That's a fact. So we accept it. We agree with the fact. The Bible says, agree with your adversaries. So we agree with the fact. I agree with the fact that I've failed. But what does the truth say? The truth says, I am more than a conqueror. So though the fact shows that I'm a failure, but the truth, the word of God, tells me that I am more than a conqueror. So I would rather go by the truth than go by the fact. And when I change my mind that I am not a failure, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, it will just be a matter of time for the fact to change. Do you know the difference between a fact and truth? Fact can change. But truth can never change. Does that make sense to you? Facts can change. Maybe the fact is that you are running behind on your car payment. Maybe the fact is that the dealer is going to possess your car, repossess your car very soon. That's a fact. But that's not the truth. The truth is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. That's the truth. So what you need to do as a Christian is that you need to take the truth and you should superimpose it on the fact so that the fact can change. Let me help you understanding again. How many people know about the law of gravity? The law of gravity says everything that is thrown up or everything is attracted to the center of the earth. If I throw up this mic, it must come down. Why? Because there is a force that is pulling everybody downwards. Is that okay? So everybody on earth is subject to the law of gravity. But there is another law that is called the law of lift and the law of flotation. And that law says that when you are able to propel yourself at a certain energy level, you'll be able to float and lift yourself from the ground. So what happened? An aeroplane was built to overcome the law of gravity. Not to destroy the law of gravity, but to overcome it. So when the pilot revs the engine of the jet, and it speeds, it taxis on the runway, and it speeds off, when it gets to a certain limit, it has enough energy to overcome, to operate the law of lift, therefore overcoming the law of gravity. Does that make sense to you? As long as the aeroplane pilot is operating the law of lift and flotation, the aeroplane will be in the air. Now, the law of gravity is still operating. But the pilot is operating a higher law. That's the reason why the aeroplane is, the jet is in the air. When the pilot decides to back down on the law of lift, gradually, the law of gravity takes over. And the law of gravity brings the plane or the jet to the ground. Spiritual laws are like that. Spiritual laws are higher laws. Earthly laws or natural laws are at this level. Spiritual laws are at this level. Amen. So it is your choice to either operate natural laws 
or to operate spiritual laws. Spiritual laws are higher than natural laws. Does that make sense to you? Natural law is the flu is going around. So about this season, time of the year, people get flu. It's a natural law. But you can operate a spiritual law. I am the healed of the Lord. I am the healed of the Lord. The Bible says, book of Ephesians chapter 15 verse 26. It said, I am the Lord your physician. I will not allow any of the diseases that came upon the Egyptians to come upon you. That's a spiritual law. Everybody may be attacked by the flu, but I cannot be attacked by the flu because Jehovah is my physician. As long as you're operating that law, it will overcome the natural law. Does that make sense to you? You must realize that you are a new species of being that never existed before. You must operate at the level of the kingdom. Don't operate like a natural man or a natural woman because you are not. Don't operate like an ordinary man and an ordinary woman because you are not. Don't operate like an average man or an average woman because you are not. You are a Christian. You must operate at the realm that Christ was operating at. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Another thing you must know as a born-again Christian is that you have a covenant relationship with God. And therefore, there are some things that must respond to you. Everything created must respond to you. Because you have a relationship with the creator. And the creator has given you permission to operate his creation. So everything that is created must respond to you. Sicknesses and diseases must respond to you. Money must respond to you. Even people must respond to you. Spirits must respond to you because you are in covenant relationship with him that created everything. Another thing you must realize as a new creation is this. You are now at an advantaged position. Before you gave your life to Jesus, you are at a disadvantaged position. Before you gave your life to Jesus, you are the sick looking for healing. Before you came to Jesus, you are the poor looking for prosperity. Before you came to Jesus, you are the failure looking for success. Does that make sense to you? But now that you are a Christian, your position changed. You are now at a position of advantage. You are no more the sick looking for healing. But you are the healed of the Lord and Satan is attempting to steal your health. Do you see the twist? Before you came to Christ, you are the sick and you are looking for healing. But now that you are a Christian, your position has changed. You are now the healed of the Lord and Satan is trying to steal your health. Do you know that in the better advantage, if somebody is trying to steal what belongs to you, you have the confidence to fight back. Is that okay? But if you are the one that is sick and you are looking for something, you are begging, you are pleading, you are asking for people to have mercy on you. Is that not true? But now as a Christian, the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, 
you have been healed. You have been made whole. So that means when you feel a symptom of headache or fever in your body, say, devil, this body is holy grounds. The Bible says, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And whatsoever want to contaminate the temple of God, God will destroy. Therefore, fever, headache, I command you to be destroyed right now in Jesus' name. Does that make sense to you? So you are at a, an advantage position. That's the reason why your speaking must change. The way you see yourself must change. You are not somebody begging the situation. You are the one that God has given all the things that you will ever need. Amen. Change the way you see yourself. Come with me to the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, you will not realize your new creation privileges. You will not realize your new creation privileges until you change the way you see yourself. Change the way you see yourself. You are exactly the way you see yourself. If you see yourself being victorious, then you will be victorious. If you see yourself as a failure, then you'll be a failure. Let's look at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I read from verse 14. Listen to these verses of scripture. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge us that if one died for all, then all died. Verse 15. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose for them. You no longer have a right to live for yourself. Now you must live for him that died for you. Listen to verse 16. Listen close. Therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no more. What does that mean? Say so from now on, we refuse to recognize anybody by their fleshly status. Rather, we are now looking at everybody according to their spiritual status. Does that make sense to you? Stop reckoning with yourself in your physical status. Begin to reckon with yourself in your spiritual status. Oh, poor me. That's your physical status. But your spiritual status is you are the prospered of the Lord. Oh, I'm feeling sick. I'm sick. This, my hunger will kill me. That's your physical status. Your spiritual status says sin does not long, no longer have dominion over you. So you can conquer that hunger habit. Amen. Oh, this my mouth will kill me. Because you can't you can breathe your mouth or your tongue. But the Bible says that you should be able to breathe your tongue. That's your spiritual status. My physical status is that I'm a black man from a third world country. What you guys call third world and you are first world. <laughs> from what you call developing countries and you are developed countries. That's my physical status. But my spiritual status, I'm a minister of the gospel. 
Amen. I am no less superior than you, and you are not, I'm not inferior to you, and you are not superior to me. Like I told you last week, it's only that the color of my F suit is black, and yours is white. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that you are superior. You are not more intelligent, and I'm not less intelligent. Does that make sense to you? When you begin to reckon with yourself the way God reckons with you, the way you see yourself changes, and you begin to leave. If Michael refused to reckon with himself as Michael Bush, he will continue to live like Michael, what's your last name? Menes. But the day he recognized himself as Michael Bush, he will stop living as Michael Menes. Does that make sense to you? You are a new creation. Stop reckoning with yourself. You are not a failure. You are a success going somewhere to explode. You are a success going somewhere to manifest. You are not a poor man. You are a prosperity looking for another new to, to, be, to, to explode. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Now, as I round up here, because of time, not because I'm done, <laughs> what are the evidences? What assures you that you are saved? There are five things that must be in your life to constantly assure you that you are saved. One, you must have the joy of the Lord and the and the joy of salvation. Are you still excited that you are saved? Some people after some months and some years of being saved, they no longer value their salvation again. Do you remember the first day you gave your life to Jesus? You were so excited. You were so happy that he saved you. You were so joyful. You will have the joy of the Lord. It's one of the evidences that you are saved. Another evidence is that you have peace with God and the peace of God. Amen. Peace with God means you and God, you know you are right. And the peace of God means even when there is trouble and chaos, you are at peace. People will look at you. We can't believe that you're, you are still sane. That's why that your situation is insane. <laughs> Amen. In the midst of troubles, in the midst of chaos, you have the peace of God. The Bible says that the peace of God will mount garrison over your mind and your heart. You know what a garrison is? A guard. A protection. A wall of protection. That means the, 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 the dictionary definition of peace is absence of conflict. But the scriptural definition of peace is being at rest even in the midst of a conflict. Even in the midst of war. The Bible says in Psalm 46, even if the mountains are moved to the sea, even if the sea roar, he said, we'll be at rest because our God is our God. Amen. Even if the mountain moves, even if this church begins to move physically, I'm sure many of you will run out. <laughs> Taking cover. The Bible says that you, your heart should be at rest even if this mountain moves. Amen. Another thing is that you should know you have righteousness. What is righteousness? You love good and you hate evil. What is righteousness? You love doing good and you hate evil with a passion. You cannot stand people in your office or in your school doing evil. You want to expose it. You want to tell them you've got to stop it because it is unscriptural. You have the boldness to tell people that is evil. This is right. Amen. Another symbol of your salvation is that you have genuine love for God and the kingdom of God. 
you have genuine love for God and the kingdom of God. And that includes the people of God. There's no way you can love me and hate my children. It doesn't work that way. If you hate my children, then you hate me. So many people, they hate the children of God, but they love God. That's a fallacy. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You've got to love God and his children, even if they are not heads. Amen. Even if they are a pain in your neck, <laughs> you've got to love them. Amen. Then you must have rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, and I will give you rest. And he didn't stop there. He said, thereafter, take on my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus takes from you the yoke of drug addiction, the yoke of hack wall, the yoke of wife abuse and husband abuse. He takes that yoke from you. He takes that burden away from you. It takes that burden from you, then it gives you a yoke of ministry. He said, my yoke is simple, and my burden is light. Does that make sense to you? Many people, they allowed, they gave their burdens to Jesus, but they don't want to take his yoke. Very soon, if you don't take, you must take something. If you don't take the yoke of Christ, you're going to take your burden, you'll look back upon you again. Does that make sense to you? That's the reason why when people become Christians and they don't do anything in the church, gradually they backslide. You have to take his yoke. He said you should take it so that it will keep you from going astray. Amen. Now, how will other people know that I'm a believer? One, when you have genuine love for the brethren, like I said, even when they are a pain in your neck, you still love them. <laughs> Amen. When you continue in the word of God, and when you bear fruit, Jesus said, by their fruit we shall know them. An orange tree cannot give birth to a mango. Orange will give birth to orange. By their fruit we shall know them. When we look at the conduct of your life, we shall see Christ. The Bible says that the, the, the disciples were first of all called Christians in Antioch by unbelievers. It was unbelievers that began to call disciples Christians. Why? Because they looked at their life and they said, these people, they behave like Christ. Amen. Now, I'm going to stop here tonight because we're going to talk about water baptism in one of the classes and we're going to talk about Holy Communion. So because of time, I won't mention that. But let me close with this. What is the importance of the blood of Jesus? One, forgiveness of your, our sins, our justification, our purification and sanctification. And through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the Father. And the blood of Jesus is the seal of the new covenant and the covenant of promise. Amen. We're going to talk more about this when we talk about covenant. Amen. Are you guys, are, are you guys glad tonight that you heard these words? Now, are you ready to leave this place tonight and walk like an ambassador of Christ? Are you ready to stop seeing yourself as a failure? As a no good somebody? Are you ready to see yourself as a success and not a failure? Are you ready to see yourself as the healed of the Lord and not a sick person? Amen. Are you ready to superimpose the loss of a kingdom upon the natural facts of your life? You know, one thing about this is this. We can talk faith here. But when you get back to your house <laughs> and you see the facts again, the facts looks more real <laughs> than the truth. But it's time 
for you to go back to the Word. Keep looking at the Word until the Word of God looks more real than your facts. Does that make sense to you? That's the reason why many people don't use the Word of God. When the pastor is preaching, say, preach it, pastor, preach it, pastor, because it looks real to them in church. But when they get back home and they see the physical situation again, ah, <laughs> they were flying high before in church. Then they decided to land. But don't worry. It's alright sometimes to land, you know, like a plane going from New York to, to California. And it doesn't have enough fuel to carry it to California. It's okay to land in Kansas City Airport and refuel. <laughs> God bless you guys. Let's rise on our feet tonight. Amen. And let's give God some praise. Hallelujah. Are you blessed tonight? Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We bless you. We love you. We thank you for illumination. We thank you for understanding. We thank you, Father God, for your word that enlightens, oh God. We thank you for your word that is a light unto our path and a lamp unto, uh, is, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, I release my faith tonight that the word of God that has proceeded out of my mouth tonight will not return back to you void. But it shall surely return after it has prospered and uh, has prospered and accomplished the work it's supposed to be in the life of my brothers and my sisters in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. And sorry for overshooting the time a little bit. God bless you. And please invite other people to this class. Tell them something good is happening here. Amen. God bless you.